Welcome to a special episode of Figuring It Out. I'm Ashley Garrison. I'm 21, I'm a senior at Columbia, and well, I'm figuring things out. I started this podcast for everyone out there who, like me, is just trying to get their lives together. Whether that means picking a college major or deciding what to do after graduation. In each episode, I'll be interviewing some peers about how they're navigating college, friendships, work, and everything in between. I hope you'll join me so we can figure things out together. Now, let's get into today's episode. I want to take it back to the very beginning of quarantine. I distinctly remember sitting on my couch in Detroit while watching news updates on COVID and I just felt terrible. Personally, the first few weeks of quarantine were really hard for me. I was at home, I was saddened by everything happening around me, and put simply, I was upset. As we plunged deeper into the pandemic, I kept seeing social media posts about mental health and self-care. I wondered how other young people were doing, especially other students, who were not only enduring Zoom classes, but also experiencing housing displacement financial uncertainty, and a bunch of other things, all at the same time. That being said, today's episode is all about mental health. It's also structured a little bit differently. My producer Amy and I talked with lots of young people, all of whom were kind enough to share their stories of navigating anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and more with us. We wanted to give all of them a voice, so we split this episode into two parts. This is part one, and it's focused on my guests' experiences with anxiety and a few other things. After hearing from the young people themselves, you'll also hear expert advice and explanation from Dr. Arielle Baskin-Somers, a psychologist and professor from Yale. This episode truly means so much to us, so we hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed creating it. Here's part one of the mental health series. Hi, Arielle. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really happy that you're here. I'm really happy to be talking about mental health, which is such an important topic, especially for my peers right now, given the circumstances of the world. But before we get started, I just wanted you to introduce yourself to everyone, tell them who you are, what you do, and yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I am Dr. Arielle Baskin-Somers. I'm an associate professor at Yale University in the Department of Psychology, and I also have appointments in psychiatry and at the law school. I'm also a licensed clinical psychologist, so part of my role is to supervise clinical student PhDs who are getting training and do some treatment um, for people in the New Haven community for different types of mental health problems that they're experiencing. So I first wanted to start just talking about quarantine and the pandemic, because for a lot of different reasons, I think I saw within my own self and within others that there was a deterioration um, in mental health. And I guess I was trying to figure out why that was. For me personally, I felt like a lot of it had to do with Uh, a loss of control over my life in the situation. And I think that something I heard from a lot of people was just general feelings of anxiousness. And so I guess what I was wondering is from your standpoint within the psychology world, has there actually been a shift in people's mental health or how they're thinking about it or talking about it? Because I feel like I've seen that via social media, but I was just wondering like what it looks like for you. Yeah, so there have been a couple of very preliminary studies that have come out that do show their increases uh, since the beginning of a lot of the shutdowns and quarantine in people's self-report of anxiety, some actual increases related to trauma um, and stress, and then increases in symptoms related to depression. Now, these are people self-reporting, so I can't say the the diagnoses necessarily are increasing, um, but certainly what we can say confidently is that the experience of COVID-19 and the pandemic and also a lot of the civil unrest that has happened um, starting primarily in in May related to racial discrimination and and policing has had a negative impact on people's mental health and, and particularly broadly their response to stress. 
And, you know, things like pandemics and economic turmoil and social unrest, they are very much out of our hands, right? So I guess my next question is when these things do happen, and something I realized is that I'm only 21 in my lifetime. I'm sure a lot of crises are going to happen like globally and also just within my personal life. So when these things do happen, how can we prepare ourselves to be able to accept them, to deal with them, I guess, Um, because life is highs and lows, you know? Yeah, this is such a great question. I think one of the reasons why the pandemic is so difficult for really everyone is that we haven't experienced something like this in our lifetime. So certainly people have experienced loss, people have had major stressors, people have moved, but that's nowhere near being, you know, shut in, in your home, um, potentially isolated and actually afraid to go out, which would is a reasonable fear. And I think the part that is particularly difficult with the pandemic is all of the coping strategies that we usually turn to when we're having a difficult time are very hard to do when you're on quarantine. So we know things like having structured activities, getting out of your home, interacting with people in social settings, having um, a combination of self-care activities and fun activities, all of that is much, much harder to do. And while we could all have our Zoom cocktail sessions and a Zoom game session, it's not quite the same as going out and really hanging out with friends. And so I think that the key with the pandemic and how people can adjust, and it's always an adjustment, um, is to say what worked for me before when I was having a stressful time and how can I modify it to make it work in my current situation. So I am someone who really likes social interaction. And so I knew very early on if I went from going out several nights a week with friends to dinner, um, going and exercising. I have a friend group that we always do exercise classes together to not seeing or doing any of those things. I really would have had a difficult time. And so I just had to put in a little more effort, particularly when the pandemic started, to schedule things that are similar while also being honest with myself that it's not going to be the same. So I had Zoom yoga sessions with friends and we just, you know, would stream a yoga session on on someone's computer and I'll watch it and do it together or sometimes not do it and just sit there chatting. But, you know, it was the idea of, of socially connecting. And so I think it's a balance of figuring out what has worked for you when you're stressed and then also accepting that you might not get the same boost or benefit that you used to because the activity is not identical. So you had mentioned acceptance, and that is a really important part of, I think, coping with very stressful experiences. And acceptance doesn't mean that you just roll over and you do nothing and you, you know, don't try. Acceptance just means, I think, being realistic and not being judgmental. So if you if you do a good activity that you normally liked, but you're not loving it because you've been locked in your apartment for you know six days straight, just recognize that that's the situation without judging it as a bad or, or a negative experience. And so that balance, I think, ends up being what's really important. And I'm happy to you know provide other more specific suggestions, but everyone has their things that they've turned to before. And so now it's a matter of just adjusting that for the current situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the first few weeks of quarantine, I did not do anything that I usually was doing. I actually think for the first week or so, something was actually very thrilling about the idea of having absolutely nothing to do. And it was great because I went from feeling quite overwhelmed during the school year to, I mean, I was still taking classes, but it was just, it was different. And actually for a couple of weeks, Columbia wasn't doing any classes. They kept delaying the start of uh, the rest of the semester. So yeah, I was happy about it at first. And then it went to this completely different feeling of feeling absolutely terrible and just seeing the news and seeing everything that was happening and feeling very frustrated. So that actually brings me to my next question, which is in terms of media consumption, I feel like for, for college students, mainstream media in terms of the news, but also social media can be triggering. So I was wondering, do you personally find time to just not go on your phone or something like that? Does that help you mentally? And is that something that you would suggest for other people as well? 
Yes, I think that whether it's TV media or social media, setting limits is really important. There are a lot of very overwhelming and difficult things going on in the world right now. And if you and now we have an opportunity, whereas we didn't before, to really sit in front of our phones and our TVs all day long and take that in. And that's, you know, really not good or um, beneficial for anyone. So I like to think about it as staying informed, but not being engulfed by the situation. So for myself, I usually wake up in the morning and I read the news and I put on MSNBC and I listen to some stuff and then basically don't watch TV or scroll through Facebook during the day because I find that very distracting or if I see something that is upsetting that it could really, you know, shift my my focus for the day. And that's what works for me. And then maybe at night, again, I kind of return to capping my day or, you know, close to around dinner time as I'm preparing dinner, um, you know, re re um, immersing myself in some of the news and making sure I don't do that right before I go to bed. And so I think for everyone, it's about finding their sensitive times. What are times of your day where you notice um, if you find something upsetting that that might really ruin the rest of your day or make it difficult to finish your day. And you want to avoid doing activities that are triggering during those times. So if seeing something on social media or reading the news is upsetting as it will be for a lot of people, avoid those periods. That is on top of the just general limit it. Um, so there are lots of amazing apps that you can put on your phone, for example, that will be a timer and not let you log back into Twitter or Facebook after you've reached your time limit. The same for um, plugins for like Google Chrome. And so that those are things that I think they sound silly sometimes, but we all need those extra help. Um, and, and I think that having that structure, particularly when so much of the rest of our day is now unstructured or, or difficult to get some control over can be really helpful. And I also wanted to talk about anxiety because even before quarantine, honestly, the word anxiety is something that I heard on my college campus multiple times a day. It seemed even if it wasn't necessary, even if it was just in a different form, like, oh, I feel like I'm having a panic attack or hearing someone say something like that, or just hearing them say that they're feeling anxious, even if they don't necessarily have anxiety. So I wanted to start by asking, what is anxiety by definition? Because I do feel like sometimes people use the word incorrectly. And I guess, how does it look different than just nervousness or stress? Yeah. So great question. In terms of anxiety, we usually talk about this as your body's response to stress. So it ends up being an outcome of persistent, intense, and often excessive worry or fear um, about what is going on in your life or, or the world around you. When it becomes impairing, meaning that it's affecting your ability to complete activities, something as day-to-day um, -day as taking a shower or something like a social interaction or work requ uh, requirements, then we might say that that would be an anxiety disorder, that the worry is so excessive that it's now interfering with your ability to function. What we mean in terms of stress is really just a feeling of emotional or physical tension. So what most people honestly mean when they say that they're anxious is that they're stressed. We all feel stressed. You should feel stressed. This is a normal response. But sometimes when our stress becomes really um, excessive, overwhelming, persistent, we end up feeling this feeling of anxiety. And that's that fear or apprehension about what's going to come next. And when that fear and apprehension becomes so impairing, that ends up being what we would consider an anxiety disorder. And we do tend to see that anxiety disorders are more prevalent among college um, age individuals. So it's not surprising that you're hearing a lot of your friends use this type of term. It, it tends to be around where some of these disorders um, peak. But there are things that certainly um, anyone, college or not, can do to manage a feeling of stress, a feeling of anxiety, or an anxiety disorder. And really, the interventions are, are quite similar in a lot of ways. My first guest is Hannah, a college grad and law student. 
I really enjoyed our conversation and all of her advice and candidness about her mental health journey. Here's Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I think this is the second time that I'm interviewing someone who's not an undergrad. So this is really exciting to get um, a different perspective. But before we get started, I just wanted you to introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm Hannah. I'm 23. I'm from Michigan or grew up in Michigan in Ann Arbor. I went to Columbia undergrad and now I'm at Yale Law School. So the first question that I'm asking everyone for this episode is one that I've been thinking about myself. Um, Just I've been thinking about the concept of what it even means to be doing well mentally. Like it's very hard to measure that. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of reminds me of the happiness episode. We were talking about what does it even mean to be happy? There's so many different definitions of happiness and different versions of it. But that being said, what does strong mental health mean to you in practice, like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's, it's hard, I think, because it changes every single day. Um, a lot of it, I think, just has to do with feeling as centered and grounded and stable as possible. And some months that's, you know, being super productive and happy and doing the things that I'm excited about. And then like, sometimes seasonal depression hits and I'm just trying to make the bed in the morning and I've kind of become more okay with that. Um, and I think it does tie into happiness a lot. It's sort of like what you can define for yourself. And like, I think being okay needs to be able to change as your needs change and just like checking in with yourself all the time. Um, because some days I really just need to like not see people lie in bed all day. And I know it's not that's not healthy long-term, but it's like what I need in a particular day. And that's being okay for me. Cause if I push myself beyond that, it would not, not be good. <laughs> um, so if that kind of answers the question. Yeah, it does. I think in terms of how I define doing well mentally, I think it's along uh, similar lines. I think I associate it just with a willingness and a motivation to tackle my days. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I also associate it with just like feeling of control over my emotions, my actions, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure if the, if the control thing is good or bad, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, I, I also don't know, because I think a lot of high achieving people like grip onto control and I know that I do too. So I don't know if that's good or bad either, but I definitely feel better when I'm more in control of things. And you mentioned that um, during college, you were figuring out your anxiety and depression diagnoses. And I was wondering if you could tell me about that, because I think for a lot of students, it can be really challenging to find proper treatment just because mm-hmm. of like, fi- financial reasons, also because it's, it can be hard to just find the right person. And then dealing with college, like counseling and psychological services is a whole other struggle. So I was wondering how how you navigated that and how that went for you. So I'm going to be honest in that I never ended up seeing college counseling and I definitely should have. And it was one of those things like, this is obviously a horrible behavior of I am too busy with classes and student clubs to like prioritize time for this. Um, So really what ended up happening was kind of when I go back home for my appointments, my primary care doctor has been wonderful. And like she luckily I guess had like a specialization in med school for mental health so that kind of worked out for me um in terms of figuring things out though I think for a really long time I thought that everyone just felt that way all the time um like things like panic attacks was I mean for me they're very like no one will be able to tell around me if I'm having a panic attack it isn't the like heaving like physical externally physical reaction it's a lot more internal and like heart speed up can't breathe but I'm like freezing and I've I guess my entire life found a way to just kind of keep moving through that so that other people can't tell um and so I just kind of assumed that everyone had that when they were freaking out about things and it took like a friend's Instagram post I think at one point or like an Instagram story where they like wrote out their own things and they were like this is a panic attack and I'm learning how to deal with it and I was like it's a what? that's not, 
that's not your average Tuesday. And then I think that was one of those wake up calls where I was like, well, shit, I better, better start looking into this a little bit more. Um, and then with the depression, I was also on birth control throughout college. Um, this was on pills before I switched to IUD. And I knew to be sort of like aware of depression side effects. And it turns out I'm extremely sensitive to it. So that, and I already had depression, I think, before college and before birth control, but it really exasperated it at one point. Um, and that's when I kind of started talking to my doctor and I called her. Um, and we we're like, okay, we're gonna switch you off of this. Like we're gonna <laughs> not use that anymore. But I was just very aware of it. Um, and then with the anxiety and really kept up with my doctor, not super often, not as often as I should have. And like we had talked about seeing a therapist and I had meant to, and it was just, again, one of those things I kept putting off. Um, which I don't recommend. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, part of it was like me figuring it out as I was going in that so much of my life I had been dealing with it without knowing. So I had a lot of coping mechanisms already in place. Um, but the more aware I became of the fact, and I think I was, I was scared. I was scared to like officially call me. I was like, I'm not, I'm not depressed and anxious. I'm just dealing with stuff like there's just a lot going on which is true but I was also extremely depressed and anxious um and it was I guess something I kind of want to stress is that it doesn't necessarily manifest or didn't manifest for me in the way that I had like seen on tv or even seen with other friends because I definitely had friends um who had been diagnosed earlier and it just looked different for me and I was still very high functioning like my grades never dropped I, you know, still managed to keep up all of my extracurriculars, but like I would go home and like just like sit frozen, like panicking for hours. Um, and I think social interaction, especially like I just have bad social anxiety. So that was something where like something like as simple as like a phone call with like my section leader at uh, Spectator at the beginning was just like I would have to like prep myself for that for like hours and potentially like a whole day of me being nervous about it. Um, exposing myself though, it got better. Like I think something that I'm actually quite grateful for was that I have more of a fear of disappointing other people than I do of like my own anxieties. So put, throwing myself into student newspaper stuff and putting myself in positions of responsibility meant that like the less time I had to think about certain things the more I just had to get used to doing them so in terms of social anxiety that helped a lot just like being more exposed um and then giving myself rest time um that was something my doctor had also recommended so just in terms of like not pushing myself too far uh and being able so kind of managing both like just existing I think in a student club in a leadership position pushed me enough uh, and there are plenty of stressful situations and I'm sure I have uh, some, some PTSD from that, that I still need to work on because there were definitely situations that you like, don't wish any student would deal with. And I'm sure, you know, uh, and that is just like student journalism sometimes feels like the end of the world and also the end all be all, um, when a lot of people are relying on you too. And a lot of figuring it out was kind of adjusting as I went and, I think also listening to friends, close friends were really helpful when they were like, you are, you are not healthy. You look like you haven't slept. And I've always been someone who needs a lot of sleep. So unlike my peers, that's something I actually prioritize a bit more than other things, but they would definitely like see me at my worst and be like, okay, you're, you're, you're taking a break. Like we're not letting you go on the computer today. Like you're not allowed to talk to And Thankfully also um, with spectator, I had very close friends on my team. So when I was um, opinion editor, I had depths who I could rely on, which was incredible. And I am really thankful for them because like there would be days I literally was um, dumped by my boyfriend one night and I was running production and I just kind of like kept going. And then like halfway through production, I was doing it remotely. I, I messaged one of them and I was like, hey, I just I just got dumped. Can you take over for me? And they were like, Hannah, what the fuck? <laughs> yes, of course. Why didn't you tell me earlier? Um, so learning to rely on other people a little bit more, I think, and not being so tied to the idea of being able to do it all myself all the time was huge. And the more that I figured that out, um, the healthier my life became was just like using my support system, both kind of professionally, I guess you could say, extracurricularly and just personally. 
Yeah, I think that what you were saying about how your like anxiety and depression didn't necessarily manifest in the way that it does in other people, I think that's really important because I think a lot of students, especially out there, they have this idea of what it looks like. And Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, especially at schools like Columbia, where everyone, almost everyone is very high achieving and very ambitious, for the most part, even when people are struggling or just trying to figure things out, they don't really let it show in their work or in their extracurriculars. And so it can be really difficult to identify that in your friends, but then also um, also in yourself. And, and also what you were saying about giving yourself enough time to rest. I think that's really important. I think that's something that um, it's it like ebbs and flows. Sometimes I feel yeah. like I'm really good about it. And, and then other times I feel like I'm, I, it almost like goes to an extreme, like either I'm working nonstop and then I guess I get kind of burnt out and then right. I, just, I rest for a very extended period. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm, I'm still figuring out how to do it in a way where I don't experience that burnout. Now, here's what Ariel had to say. One of my guests mentioned that for her, her anxiety didn't manifest in the way that she felt most people would expect. Like she mentioned that she would have panic attacks, but still maybe be able to perform really well academically or still be able to get all of her tasks done. It didn't necessarily look like her freaking out or something or just like sitting down crying she could, it would just be very internalized. And that was really interesting to me because that's something that I don't hear about often. And honestly, it made me realize that many people could be having panic attacks and you you don't even know it around you. So I guess I have two questions. One is how would we be able to identify a panic attack in ourselves? And also, I was just wondering if you could talk about how anxiety can manifest differently in people with different personalities. Yeah. So in terms of panic, I think it's important to distinguish between what we would typically call an anxiety attack or what it sounds like maybe your um, guest called a, a panic attack and panic disorder. So panic disorder is really when you have at least one panic attack followed by a month or more of worry about having another panic attack. The panic attack also has to include physiological symptoms like heart racing, sweating, um, headaches, sometimes feeling disconnected from your body. Um, These are very common. And so it's not as common to have panic disorder. And a lot of people do experience panic attacks, but it only becomes a disorder when you start worrying. And that goes back to that disorder definition that it becomes this excessive extended worry that you can't get rid of. A panic um, attack or what I would refer to as an anxiety attack can come in lots of different forms. And since it's not a formal disorder, you don't have to check all of the physiological boxes necessarily. So sometimes it can be like someone's thoughts are just racing and they can't seem to stop. And those thoughts are about fear or worry. So very anxiety provoking thoughts. Sometimes that it's your heart is racing or your hands are sweating. You know, kind of imagine sitting down for a really big exam, all of those physiological things, the butterflies in your stomach, the heart pounding, that might just be escalated a little bit more. Um, Sometimes a panic attack comes after a trigger, but sometimes it doesn't. And often with panic disorder, it feels like it comes totally out of the blue. Like you just don't know why it happened. Um, So those tend to be the the key distinctions. And so the difficulty with panic is that people can be walking around. And like you said, you would have no idea they're experiencing anxiety or anxiety disorder. Um, And and that's the difficulty. And so it really comes down to, and a lot of the work with people who experience this is having them become the best detectives for themselves to identify their physiological and psychological um, triggers and symptoms that would help them identify so that they can launch into some sort of intervention. And she also mentioned that she had social anxiety and that that could often hinder her from being able to do 
or not hinder her, but she would feel nervous about doing things like making a call to someone for journalism purposes because she was on her school's newspaper. And that if, you know, she couldn't necessarily go to a social event, she would feel this guilt about taking the time to step away. And she was just talking about trying to unlearn that self-guilt and just unlearn some of those bad behaviors. So that leads me to my next question, which is how can we unlearn some of those uh, I guess that coping mechanisms or behaviors that we do have. So one of the most common ways that we tend to treat or manage anxiety is using cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. And what CBT is rooted in is what's called the CBT triangle. It's basically that a lot of our psychological woes are coming back to the interaction between our thoughts, our feelings, and our behavior. And what CBT does is basically identify interventions that help you manage your emotions, challenge or change your thoughts, and manage your behavior. So if we're working with someone who's dealing with anxiety, we might directly use what's called cognitive restructuring. Like the guest you mentioned, they feel guilt about not you know, going to the party. We would give them alternative thoughts that they could use to challenge that guilt thought. So what would be alternative evidence? It's almost like being a lawyer against yourself. What would be the counter argument that you would tell yourself? Well, missing one event is not that big a deal. You know, you had something else scheduled or you know, whatever the content of the guilt thing is coming up with something alternative. We also might use a distraction technique to address the thoughts, like maybe the person can't come up with an alternative. So you, our minds actually are really bad at multitasking. We all think we're good at it, but it's actually, our brains are not structured to multitask. So it takes very little to shift our focus. So if I'm having a lot of anxiety thoughts, I could look around the room and count all the corners in the room. I can name all the colors in the room. I can name every city I could think of that begins with a letter B, for example. And just doing that helps disrupt our cycle of, of thinking and our train of thought. So those would be if I noticed that the thoughts were the, the anxiety symptoms that really came up a lot. But it might be that my behaviors are the things that are most distressing. I cry a lot when I feel anxious, for example, or I shake. Like a lot of times people would report that they are like shivering, like they have chills when they're feeling really anxious. And so we might um, think about ways to ground ourselves. So physically touching something to remind ourselves that we're connected to the ground, um, Sometimes we use like ice, touching ice or splashing hot or cold water on ourselves just to kind of not only have that jolt, but also notice something outside of our anxiety behaviors. Um, and similarly, if we want to manage our emotions, we might think about different skills for that um, emotion management. And that could be playing upbeat music. So it could be something, again, that we normally do, but we don't think about it as, as an intervention. Playing a soothing song if we're already feeling amped up, um, playing a game or talking to a friend. And so I think the key when someone's feeling anxious is to begin to identify when they are anxious for them, what does that feel like? What do they think about and what do they do? And then you could get creative about matching different strategies to those different types of symptoms. And now it's time for you to hear from Luma. Luma is a college senior studying public health. Here's what she had to say about mental health and substance abuse. Hi, Luma. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I'm really glad that you're here and I'm glad that we are here to talk about mental health. This is, I think, my third interview, but I think Amy's talked to two other people, so I guess it's our fifth interview altogether. But before we get started, I just wanted you to introduce yourself to everyone and tell them who you are and all that. Hi, Ashley, and hi, everyone. Um, I'm Luma. I'm a rising senior at the University of Michigan, um, studying public global public health at the School of Public Health, um, and I'm really happy to be on the podcast. I've literally been an avid fan since the first episode and since before it even came out. So I'm glad to be on here. So the first thing that I've been asking everyone pretty much 
when we start talking is how they define strong mental health and what that means to them on a daily basis in practice. So yeah, what does strong mental health mean to you personally? Or what does that look like for you? I guess like for me, mental health is very like dynamic. So it it fluctuates. And I think for me, strong mental health has to be like the ability to get over the fact that it's not going to be super consistent all the time. Like you're going to be pretty low some days, you're going to pre- be pretty up some days. And it's like, how are you going to get through these low points? And how are you going to, I guess, just be okay with the fact that it fluctuates and that life changes your mental health and, and you're not going to have like a structured way of like coping with things all the time. So I think strong mental health is really just your ability to get through like the dynamicness of mental health and, and those like really low points and being able to acknowledge that it happens and just, you know, being okay with that. And on your Google form, you mentioned that you wanted to discuss like substance abuse and drug abuse um, in terms of college and mental health. And I think something that people don't often realize, or if they realize it, they don't talk about it, is that drug abuse, substance abuse, alcohol abuse is actually very common on college campuses in young people in a very serious way, like beyond just on one game day, like getting super drunk or blacking out, like people do develop serious addictions in college, which scares me because uh, naturally people will take those habits with them out of adulthood, potentially if they aren't treated. And I guess I was wondering why that is the case, why that is so popular. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. My theory was part of it being that before college, people often aren't exposed to all these substances. And so when they get to college, they can kind of go crazy. Plus negative feelings equals uh, a desire to do that. But yeah, I was wondering what you thought about that. Definitely. So I was actually like, I put this in my Google form um, submission because we talked about this in one of my public health classes, actually, just like the whole like, stress culture on campus and how that kind of creates this like I guess negative or or it just creates a loop of like of badness in general like people will get really 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 stressed and I guess like that stress will they're or they'll just like not really manage their stress and they'll just think like I'll keep it like piled up piled up piled up piled up and I'll wait until you know, Thursday night, because I don't have class on Friday, and I'm going to get like, wasted, or I'm going to get whatever, and I'm going to cope in that way. You know, like, I've seen it with like, literally all of my friends, you just get so stressed, and you just can't wait for the weekend, because you're going to do this, like, I don't know, crazy fun thing. And it may seem innocent. And in a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it is pretty innocent. But it kind of develops this like, super toxic culture on campus um, where people are going to be binge drinking or abusing drugs or whatever because they're not really coping with their stress properly. And we talked about how like, you know, your first year on campus, you'll usually have some kind of like training or whatever with, um, you know, like RAs who who talk to you about like the resources on campus or talk to you, talk to you about like you know, underage drinking or whatever, like they'll, they'll have these like little trainings and they're nice, but there's something you hear once for like 20 minutes, the first year that you're on campus. And then you never get told again, you're never really reminded like for the rest of your college experience. Um, And I know like for me personally, I think it's called like relationship remix at U of M where they talk about like all these things and like where you can get help and whatever. And, and like, I'm literally a rising senior now and I honestly can't even really tell you like all the places that you can get help on campus or where you can find like resources for um, things like drinking or even um, like eating disorders, which is a big thing that you see like on campus as well. Um, And 
I don't really have an answer for like why, because I think it's just so broad. Like, I think there are so many factors that contribute to it. Like the first being that, like you said, you know, you're not really exposed when you're at home and then you kind of leave home and now you're exposed to a lot. I think another thing is like stress. I think there's also this like competitive nature on campus where it's like, or just in college in general, where like, you know, one person's like, I'm going to drink X amount. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to drink like X, Y amount or whatever, you know? So I think there's a lot to it. And I think this conversation that I had in my public health class kind of opened my eyes to it. And a lot of people, like, I think I, I was in a group, so she like divided us into like groups of like 10 or whatever. And like every single person in that group or in my group talked about someone that they know that has like a nicotine addiction or a weed addiction or like cannot stop binge drinking or whatever, you know? And it's sad because I know it's only four years of your life, but these are four years that could have been, you know, a little bit more healthy and well, I guess. You could have coped with like, you know, these stresses and these mental health issues in other ways, but you just kind of lack the resources on campus. Even if you have them on campus, like you're not really told where they are. Maybe they're not super anonymous or maybe you come from, you know, a background where like, you know, for me, for me, for example, like my immigrant parents, you know, I can, they're really welcoming and accepting and understanding, but I can't really tell them about like all the things that my friends do on campus or honestly, I have done too, you know? So I think the fear of things tracing back to your like own community back at home too is really I guess, scary for some people. So people don't really reach out and they're kind of dealing with these things internally and they don't even realize that they have a problem, you know, which kind of sucks, you know, because I I don't know, it, it creates this pretty toxic bubble on campus. And I feel like a lot of it can be fixed just from like simple solutions of like, better, you know, mental health resources and facilities and things that can reach broader audiences and things like that. Yeah, I think it's very normalized to get extremely drunk, high, whatever. Actually, um, I was talking to an adult, a family member, about how when most college students drink they drink with the intention to get drunk and this older person was saying like that is so weird like when adults drink that's not usually the intent like you might want to be quote-unquote buzzed or whatever or feeling good Mm -hmm. (laughs) putting that in quotes as well Um, but they don't necessarily drink with the intention of like blacking out or something like a 50 year old person probably isn't talking about that And that's just not really the case with college students. I think very rarely do I hear about someone going out and having one drink or two drink or something like that. And I guess I kind of think it's tied to the fact that a lot of extreme feelings are normalized in college. Like it's very normalized to be extremely something like extremely stressed or extremely sad. I don't think I would ever think twice or like look twice if someone, you know, was just crying or having a meltdown or something. I think during final season, I frequently saw people having their own mini meltdowns in the library or just talking to a friend in the bathroom and being in tears. And it's not something that really shocks me in any sort of way. And I think that contrarily, the feeling of someone being just extremely not happy, but I guess like, on a different planet because of substances Mm -hmm. that's also very common and not something that anyone in college would probably be surprised to see either so so I guess it's just like this this very extreme culture I don't know how to describe it but I guess it's go big or go home I guess that's what they call it or work hard play hard and here's what Arielle had to say about that one of my guests that I was interviewing, she was talking about how in some people that she knew, 
she saw that they would deal with their anxiety and other negative emotions by using substances. <laughs> and in, in my conversation with her, I was telling her that I think recently in the last year, I realized that many college students actually do have serious substance abuse problems beyond just the, you know, once a week they're blacking out um, or, you know, something like that. Like they, they genuinely have serious problems that I'm assuming they take with them into like their post-college lives. So I guess I was wondering why do college students or people in general turn to things like that to cope with their emotions? Because she was mentioning that she found that people would bottle up their stress throughout the week. And then on a Thursday or Friday night, they would just completely go crazy. And yeah. People use drugs as they feel good. Bottom line, they feel good in the moment. They help us forget often what we're feeling before. So the stress or the worries that we're having, this is the positive of different substances. They activate the pleasure centers of our brain. They release dopamine, which helps us feel good and motivated. The problem is those are temporary. So while we might have a very quick spike in a some sort of release or pleasure um, sensation, it's often with most drugs followed by a very quick and very steep drop, meaning that we have a lot of negative affect and negative emotion. Um, and a lot of drugs, this is intended. So alcohol actually is a depressant. The goal of alcohol is to depress our physiological symptoms. So while you might feel good and disinhibited when you're drinking and hanging out with your friends, as it goes through your system, it's really just dampening down your stress system. Well, if your stress system is already feeling dampened because you're experiencing depression, then you're going to get even lower and lower and lower. So I think this is the balance with substances that is so difficult. If we all could take a magic pill to feel better in the moment when we're stressed, we would. And drugs let us feel that often. They let us feel that quick release and relief from our, our stress. The problem is what follows from that. But often we don't focus on that as much, particularly college students, because you might be with friends when you're drinking. So while you might have felt crappy the next day or the day after that, what you remember longer term is I had so much fun with my friends that night. And so that helps then repeat the cycle over and over again. So definitely with people who are experiencing really significant stress, and it doesn't even have to be at a clinical level, but just a high level of stress, using substances is, is not the coping strategy. Now, I'm not saying you never drink, you never use a drug. I'm not that type of person, but it only should be done certainly in moderation and not as a tool for managing negative aspects of your life. Lastly, you're going to hear from Ashley. Here's what she had to say on anxiety, academic stress, and learning to go easy on yourself. Hi, my name is Ashley. I'm 20 years old and I go to Syracuse University where I study television, radio, and film, and I minor in anthropology. You submitted to our form that you wanted to talk about mental health and productivity, as well as being okay with not being okay and not feeling guilty over that. What did you mean by that? And maybe if you could share your story and how you deal with your mental health. I mean, that kind of came to mind from, I just think in general, like whether we think about it as serious as like your mental health, a lot of times when you know, you're not feeling up to something or you don't want to join friends and do something, you feel guilty about it, or you, or like there's time, you just beat yourself up when you're not, you know, you don't, have, when you're not feeling well, you don't have an explanation for why, you know? And so in my head, I was like, that's a good kind of topic. And I feel like I deal with that a lot where it's just like some days you're just not feeling it or you're, you're overthinking or you're, you have anxiety. Any of the, I know I deal with anxiety. And so sometimes I just have to like, you know, shut my brain off and calm down and be like, it's fine. Everything, you know, it's cool. It's okay to like process your emotions and um, kind of deal with it how you will. So that's kind of where my thought process with that came from. Yeah. Speaking of anxiety, was there a time where you felt like you were really feeling the effects of anxiety or was there a specific moment where you felt like it was really heightened and how did you get through that time? 
I mean, I think now every day <laughs> there's something just like what everything that's going on. Um, I feel like it's for me, it's helped to uh, not be on social media as much or go online too much because I think being home, it's easy to kind of um, get, you know, to be in bed all day or get caught up and um, look at social media or look at the news like 24 seven, especially I mean, even when we weren't like trapped in the house, you have to, you were, you have that access. It's right at your fingertips. So I feel like constantly I have notifications. So you kind of just have to shut all that off. I, um, I know for me, I know what social media like does to me going on it all the time. Um, and I didn't realize it as much until now. Like, it's just like, I, it doesn't make me feel good and not in like, not even in a like super bad way. I just like, I don't know, be on your phone. It just makes you feel like, eh, like whatever, like I need to be like more productive. So um, that was a tangent, but like, aside from that, I feel like how I deal with my anxiety is just, I guess, taking a break from screen time and then kind of relaxing with my favorite show or even working out. I tried, like, I try to stretch a lot. Like when I stretch, I feel so much better. Um, I haven't been as good about working out. Like, I don't know if any of us are, <laughs> it's hard to keep up sometimes, but I've been trying to like urge myself to, you know, get up and move your body because I don't get outside every single day. Um, so yesterday I worked out for the first time in like two weeks and or well, after two weeks of saying I was going to work out every day. So it's like, a, <laughs> like to own up to like, yeah, no, I'm actually going to get up and move my body. And I did and I felt good. So I'm going to try to, you know, keep doing that form a habit. So I just think finding new hobbies and things to focus on for me helps me a lot. Yeah, oh my gosh. I feel like I tell myself every day, like, oh, it worked out, but I never do. Yeah. Every day I make a to-do list and then I don't always follow it. So I'm like, let me, I don't know what it is. Like, what is it that's holding me back? Why am I, so I'm like, let me, you know, if I have nothing else to do, especially if I'm taking a break from social media and I have no distractions, like, why aren't I <laughs> getting up and doing what I've said I'm going to do? It's harder, it's easier, like, said than done. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should also be okay with not being super productive. I mean, it is a pandemic. <laughs> but thinking back uh, in college within your major, how do you find time to balance your academic work with your social life as well as any professional goals you might have? Um, I'm also in Newhouse, actually. I'm a magazine journalism major, and I always feel like I have to turn away my friends because of work for extracurriculars or just academics in general, which really sucks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think finding that balance is really, you know, hard. <laughs> and I, well, so I'm one of those students I've taken probably, like, 19 like between 16 and 19 credits every semester like last semester I did 19 <laughs> and then I did like 16 before and I did 19 before that and it's like that's a lot yeah um, 19 is the max we can do at Syracuse at least and so it's a lot to handle and I feel like I was taking cool classes and I like to learn but it still can get overwhelming because it's still a lot of work and being a TRF student and um anthro minor most of it is like humanities based courses so it's like it's a lot of reading it's a lot of writing and so it requires a lot of my attention. <laughs> and so I do, I did like, when it came to hanging out with people, I definitely would try to do homework with my friends, but focus doesn't come easy usually when you're doing work with your friends. And I think I've gotten better at being like, it's okay to take a break and go hang out or, you know, get ice cream or just like, it's more like setting boundaries, I think. So it's like not overdoing it. Like you can hang out with your friends, but if you have, you know, it's like, I have an hour, we can do this. But after an hour, like you have to leave, like don't <laughs> spend like 10 hours now. And now you lost a day and you're tired and, or, you're, you know, you weren't productive in your work. So I think it's about establishing that and like the, the boundaries between your friends. And usually they're busy too. So they hopefully get it. Um, yeah, I think that's how I've kind of coped with things. I feel like I've gotten better at like being also not, you know, putting the utmost pressure on myself when it comes to my work because I am, you know, I'm an A student. I do, I do well, but you know, I feel like it's A students who are hardest on yourself. Newhouse students are really hard on themselves in general. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of dedication and, you, and it's all like very career driven. You want to do, you know, you want to be the best so you can, you know, be the best in the future. But sometimes you have to take a step back and just be like, it's, this is not the end of the world. Like I have to tell myself, especially when I'm overstressing, like, this is not going to matter in the future. <laughs> like some, obviously, you know, some of your assignments, it's like a big deal, but really 
the experience you get in the real world is what counts. And then sometimes that helps me even just like, even if it's a big test or a final, it helps me kind of put into perspective, like how important is this really? And so it helps me calm down. Even like, I still want to do well, I get a good grade or whatever, but I think telling yourself that it doesn't, it's kind of like taking pass fail. I did pass fail this semester um, because I was actually studying abroad and I had to come back and it was like, I was like, I don't want to have to worry about um, all of this. I was only taking 12 credits, so I did pass fail. And I still ended up doing well in my classes. And so it's like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have taken pass fail because then it would have counted. But in my heart, I know it took the pressure off taking pass fail because if I wasn't, then I would have felt like even more, you know, determined to get A's when there's too much in the world going on. So it's okay. Like personally, it helped take that pressure off. So it's the same thing for me, I think mentally when, I, when I'm not taking pass fail to kind of step back. I hope that all makes sense <laughs> to kind of step back to like saying like, this isn't the end of the world. It's okay to, like when you, when you put yourself in that mental state, then I feel like it eases everything. Like that's how I kind of deal with my, like I think anxiety during the school year. It's just like, doesn't, it's not gonna matter too much. Like don't, don't overdo it. Other people are doing fine and they're not as stressed. Like it's cool. <laughs> And now let's hear what Arielle had to say. And this is just a general question. I don't know if you have the answer to this, but in terms of anxiety amongst young people and students in particular, do you find that a lot of it is more social or personal related or is a lot of it academic? Um, Because in the conversations that I was having, I heard a lot about just feeling very pressured to do well academically or suffering from imposter syndrome. So I guess in my conversations, it did seem to be academic. And I was just wondering for people who are overachieving or very ambitious, like, are there any strategies for, you know, trying to do well, but not getting to a point where you feel overwhelmed? Yeah. So in terms of the first part of the question of kind of what people are anxious about for college students, it really can vary. So the two you've mentioned are very common things that we hear about, you know, feeling overwhelmed or stressed by academics and then also socially. And so you might also imagine this kind of generalized anxiety feeling where a lot of domains of people's lives, they're feeling a lot of worry. A lot of college students worry about finances, paying for college, getting a job after. Um, And so this period during college is you know, typically associated with a, a lot of worry, um, and it tends to cut across lots of domains of, of people's lives. In terms of what to do about it, um, well, there are lots of different strategies, and I think I I'm, will list a few, but I will say a key is again being kind of a good researcher yourself and trying different experiments. Try a bunch of strategies, see what works. If it doesn't work, don't give up and just try something else. So one type of strategy that works really well is called opposite action. This comes from dialectical behavior therapy. And the idea is when we're anxious, we tend to avoid. So if I really am nervous about seeing someone at a party, for example, our natural response is to not want to go to that party and perhaps not go to that party and avoid the party. What opposite action would do is is to say, you need to engage in something that's more approach, that's more active. It doesn't say you have to go to the party, but you have to do something. Reach out to a friend who might be at that party. Basically, just get the ball rolling towards something that is um, kind of more active and not avoidant. If people are worried about work or managing all the work they have, again, cognitive behavioral therapy really believes in scheduling. And throughout our day, we actually want to use a schedule, use a calendar to find balance in our day. You want to make sure that you're doing self-care activities. This would be you know, showering, sleeping, brushing your teeth. And I've even worked with clients where I have them write, brush your teeth into their calendar to just take some of the thinking out of their day when they're feeling really overwhelmed. You also want mastery activities. Every single day you should be doing something that gives you a sense of completion and accomplishment. This could be really hard when we're in undergrad because you might be working for a class that only has a final. So in your class, you don't have an opportunity to feel accomplished or to complete 
the activity. So you find it outside of class. What would, can you complete a puzzle? Can you do something else that's part of your hobby that's like you just check it off your list? So it could even be cleaning your room, for example. Then you also want to make sure every day has a pleasure activity, doing something that's rewarding, watching 30 minutes of Netflix, um, listening to your favorite song, getting a frozen yogurt, whatever it may be. And then lastly, every day should have some social interaction. And this doesn't always have to be face-to-face. -face, and certainly during the pandemic, this might be hard. It can even be going and working in a socially distanced coffee shop, just being around other people so that you're not in your room by yourself is really important. And so that is kind of one structured way to deal with anxiety is to make sure every single day has that structure. And in the context of the pandemic, when we're feeling flooded and overwhelmed by all the stress that's going on, using our calendar, using the electronics that we have around us anyway to help support those goals are really important. So on my really busy days, I have, I mentioned to you when we got on a Peloton bike, I have my Peloton workout and that pops up and asks me, you know, as a reminder to get on the bike. Then I have my lunch break, I have my classes and it's all in my calendar. And it's not to be super organized, it's really to kind of help myself to achieve the balance in my schedule that I know helps with emotion management and emotion regulation. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to part one of the mental health series. Part two is coming next Thursday. You'll hear some different guests talk about how they've dealt with academic stress, eating disorders, mindfulness, and some other things. In the meantime, our social media will have some updates and even some Q&As with various therapists. You can keep up with us at the Figuring It Out Pod on Instagram. I also want to thank Amy and Sam for all the hard work that they've done, not just for this episode, but literally since I first started this podcast. And lastly, thank you for listening along as I try to figure things out. I'll talk to you soon.